take a Bible and open it up to John chapter 1. Take a Bible and open John chapter 1 just for your information. I'm reading out of the English Standard Translation uh, today. Sometimes I come out of the CSB. Um, and today I'm going to actually reference a couple other translations for a reason I'll get to in just a moment. I do want to mention, um, because we don't usually have these curtains uh, open on a regular basis, but we do when we do baptisms. We had a baptism at 9 a.m. service. It was a time of celebration. It was fantastic. Uh, it will be posted. Uh, Hannah Ramirez's story will be posted later on this week on all the socials and on our uh, family update, along with her actual baptism. Uh, will be on that video for you to see for those of you here at the 1030 service who didn't get to see it or those of you who are online with us and did not join us at our 9 a.m. stream. Um, also, Scott mentioned this, but I got to say something about it as well. Our music service last week was just outstanding. Uh, our musicians, instrumentalists, vocalists, our lead worship leaders uh, all contributed. Um, just a lot of people in and out of the stage, not as many as normal, uh, but we just, it's a difficult time and you got to be uh, cautious, have all these precautions and, and mitigations, but, but man, they pulled it off and it was fantastic. I'm just thankful to all of them. And I do want to just shout out to, uh, to Paul for organizing it all. He just did a fantastic job. I know Dave helped on the early stages of it, although he would probably say that Paul did most of it. Um, and then also John Murphy, our, 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 uh, our, our, who's been our lead tech for years, man. He, I think he spent eight hours uh, on rehearsals and uh, getting sound just right on Sunday morning through the services. Uh, just put in a lot of time. Uh, just know that not only do those who are here uh, serve you well, but those who are behind you uh, in that, that booth back there serve you well. You can't see Derek. He's hidden right now, but uh, he is back there. Uh, by the way, Derek is going to be uh, leading some instrumentalists in a special uh, opening to our Christmas Eve service. Uh, I'll just leave you at that and um, uh, whet your appetite for, for that on, uh, on Thursday. Uh, and by the way, I know that Greg mentioned this, but yeah, Thursday uh, will be the release of our uh, Christmas Eve service. Next Sunday, uh, we'll only have one service. It'll be a 1030 service. We've traditionally always done that the weekend uh, heading into New Year's. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to have a self-fulfilling prophecy, but it always seems to be uh, a, a low attendance Sunday uh, because a lot of people are out for whatever reason. And so, uh, with that said, it could be high attendance because not all of everyone's going places this year. So RSVP soon if you could, and that would help us out a ton for next week. All right. John chapter 1, uh, we're going to be reading through verses 1 through 18 as we've been doing the last three weeks. Uh, our series for Advent 2020, 2020 is um, Light Has Come. Uh, if you don't know who John is, the writer uh, that the Holy Spirit used for this gospel account, he was one of Jesus' earliest disciples. He was probably the youngest of the disciples. And likely, from what we know of history, probably lasted the longest before either dying or being martyred. 
Um, and so John also mentions another John in chapter 1. It feels like it comes out of nowhere. If, if you're reading the Bible and just being honest, it feels come, like it's coming out of nowhere. It doesn't, and I hope if you heard me last week explain why that's injected, uh, you understand why it's there. Uh, if not, you're going to have to go back and listen. Um, but uh, he does mention John in this text who is called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Um, in a lot of ways, their stories have some parallels as far as the kind of people they were, but they also have a lot of differences. Uh, I just want you to know the difference when he mentions John. He's not talking about himself. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, hopefully that's helpful to you as we, as we uh, engage in this text. Um, last thing I'm going to say before we go into verse 1, today and Christmas Eve are tied together uh, because they come from the same texts, the same ver- verses that we'll be focusing on today. Um, so they will be important as you, as you come and, uh, uh, or as you join us online for Christmas Eve service on Thursday. And um, something I haven't said from week to week, but I really got to mention this, um, John chapter 1 would really be a bummer for us if we passed over the small words. Uh, There's a lot of words in these texts that are really, really big. Um, In fact, these are some of the thickest, richest texts, and they have more packed into these short statements than we would have time to cover in a single message. But what we do cover today, I pray, will both encourage and challenge you to truly pursue the light of the world. Um, and today, just to put my cards on the table, we are going to address the subject of Jesus being light for us as he is grace and truth for us. So with that said, maybe you can kind of attune your eyes, your ears to when we get to that portion and kind of really pay attention. Starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you weren't with us in previous weeks, the Word is Jesus, in case that doesn't become apparent to you as we continue to read. It says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. His name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light himself, but came to bear witness about the light. Now the true light, which gives light to everyone, he was coming into the world and he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. (laughs) That is so huge. I mean, when we're talking about the incarnation, that is a big deal. The word became flesh. This is the just the wow moment. The Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as a parenthetical statement, he says, John, go back to John, bore witness about Him. 
And he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was, in fact, before me. Continuing, For from his fullness we have all received, and that's talking about Jesus, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law, and if you don't know what he's talking about, he's talking about the law. He's talking about the Old Testament, the earlier portion of our Bible. Okay? The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So, today, just like what we've been doing the last couple of weeks, didn't do it so much last week, but the two weeks before that, we will be addressing three basic questions as we approach this text. First, what does John mean when he refers to grace and truth? That's a pretty important question. What does he mean when he's referring to grace and truth? And he gives us some hints here. It's not as clear and overt, but it would have been to certain people reading the Bible, and we're going to try and get inside their mindset as we read it. So first, what does John mean when he refers to grace and truth? Second, in what ways does Jesus embody grace and truth as John describes it? In what way does he embody it? And finally, in what ways is Jesus, as the embodiment, as we anticipate, as the embodiment of grace and truth, how is Jesus a light for us that we consider and celebrate during this Advent season? Now, before I attack these questions, I do want to say one thing about some of the texts that we're going to be emphasizing, and I specifically want to zero you in on verse 14. Let's read it again. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, there is nothing wrong with how the ESV translation has translated this. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong, in fact, with a lot of translations that translate it like that. But they could translate it in such a way that makes it a little easier to understand what is modifying what. Not to get into all the the language of it all, but there is actually an order in which it makes it a little more clear as to what is being modified when we talk about grace and truth. Is it modifying glory? No, not likely. It's modifying word. It's modifying Jesus. He is full of grace and truth. And so I'm going to read for you the, uh, the Revised Standard Version, not a translation I particularly like or that I use very often, but they actually get it right on the point of clarity here. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now, hopefully, it'll become clear as to why I say that, because uh, it does help us in understanding a little bit more about what this is trying to get at us. And we do want to know, as our first question asks of us, what does John mean when he refers to grace and truth? Well, in the broadest sense, uh, God's faithfulness is what he means. God's faithfulness to his covenant mercies. And by the way, this phrase, grace and truth, is pretty unique. It's not found really many places in the Bible at all like this in this form. Um, In fact, John, he actually talks about grace, I think a grand total of three times 
in his writing here, and it all comes in chapter 1. And then he doesn't talk about grace, the Greek word charis, again. But truth, he actually talks about here and further on through the scriptures that he writes. But grace and truth is truly unique. And when you find a, a phrase that's like unique, a combination of words that are unique, you almost can guarantee every single time he's trying to encapsulate, he's trying to put into words a concept that doesn't have yet in the language he's using the right words. Uh, and so that should draw our attention. Something else should draw our attention, but probably doesn't in just who we are and where we live in America is the larger context of what is being said here. Um, if we are considering this phrase, there is a background to this phrase and to the larger context or the larger amount of verses around it upon which a religious Jewish person from the first century would have quickly recognized uh, from their interaction with their own Old Testament and the law of Moses. They would have recognized some parallels, some hints, some shadows of Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. In fact, uh, in Exodus chapter 33, uh, Moses is wanting to see God's glory. And we'll talk about that actually on Christmas Eve. But he's wanting to see God's glory in its fullness. He's like, no one can see God or they die. <laughs> and and so, so, so he's like, you can't see me. And so, so he hides him in a cleft of a rock and then he like makes him move around. Uh, and and then, then he only gets kind of a glimpse of kind of, kind of his fading presence as he moves around. And, and that's all he gets. That's all he gets. And um, the point in this passage is that no one has seen God. But he's just told us that we've seen him. <laughs> More on that in a minute, because that's pretty ama amazing in light of the background of Exodus 34, 33 and their understanding of the impossibility of seeing God, really seeing him in his fullness. And so Exodus 34, which comes right after it, has some interesting statements that have a parallel in this passage to grace and truth. I'm going to read it for you. Starting in verse 5, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there. This is right after he gets Moses to work on the second tablets of the Ten Commandments after he'd broken the first set. Okay, so he's got his second and he's descended in a cl cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord proclaimed his own name. <laughs> That's like like if you don't if you don't get that he is about his own glory, that statement alone tells you he wants to be glorified and it's good for us to glorify him. So he spoke his own name. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. Okay. Grace and truth has a parallel that we just read. And it's the idea of God's steadfast faithfulness. 
He was trying to encapsulate the idea of steadfast faithfulness. You may want to say, like, like why didn't you say steadfast faithfulness? Well, the, the Greek just didn't have those words, right? So, so he, full of grace and truth was his way of saying that. A steadfast faithfulness is what he's after. And, and before we move on from there too quickly, it is important to see that once he is in recognition of that steadfast faithfulness, he only has one response he can give. He bows and he worships. He can't help but do that. That's very informative for me and for you as we enter a time of worship and song here in a few minutes that after receiving the message of what Jesus is to us as light, as grace and truth, our response is to bow and worship Him and give Him what is due Him. So, with that said, and with that background kind of clarified, I want to walk through what he means by grace and truth in this text with that background. And really, I don't have time to read all the other passages in the Old Testament that refer to the various ways in fact that his steadfast faithfulness is meant to find fulfillment. Um, but I am going to go through them, some of which are touched on in Exodus 34. The first is this. In Jesus, his promise and covenant of new creation is being fulfilled. When he says grace, when he says grace and faithfulness or grace and truth comes through Jesus, he's saying that through Jesus, the new covenant, the promise of new creation has begun, has entered this world through Christ. In other words, he, in coming as the embodiment of grace and truth, effectively, his very present calls new creation into being. It calls forth. A new day has dawned when he comes into the world and comes into flesh. An era characterized by grace and truth. An era characterized by God having settled to account His promises made in Jesus. From that time forward, His promise has been kept. And this is an era we live in characterized by grace and truth. Grace upon grace, in fact. See, the law came through Moses, right? But grace and truth came through Jesus. That's not meant to say the law came through Moses and it was terrible. No, it was actually beautiful. It showed us of our great need for God's mercies and grace because the law showed us that we are offenders, but we cannot do anything about it. But he comes with grace and truth, saying the new day has dawned and that something is going to be done about it. <laughs> Secondly, Jesus is the promise or covenant kept for personal redemption. My redemption, your redemption, our redemption, your neighbor's redemption, your kid's redemption, your parents' redemption. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise 
He is the grace upon prior grace. You see, grace to the people in Old Testament times was to go and to worship and to sit at the altar and to watch a sacrifice burned knowing God was their Savior. But it was an act of faith because it was but a shadow. It wasn't a sacrifice that was going to be final and complete. They would have to come back. Jesus was another level of grace on top of that grace. A grace that was on top of little g grace, if you will. That does not need a grace in addition to it. God's promise was fulfilled for personal redemption for human beings that need forgiveness. Finally, promise was kept, the covenant was kept in Jesus that we would have not only forgiveness of sins through redemption, but we'd also have new lives. We'd be different people. We would grow into different human beings, the kind of human beings that actually look like the image and likeness of God in a way that we weren't prior or that we weren't living and walking in. It's the Ezekiel 36 new heart promise that was kept in Jesus. We, when we are told that he is full of grace and truth, it is being announced to us that the fullness of his grace and truth has come to bear, not just on the world in a new creation, not just in forgiving you and me of our sins, but in making us new. We're being given new hearts. It's nothing less than the announcement that he is the beginning of what would be completed at Pentecost, the fulfilling of the bringing of his presence with God's people all the time in the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. So that's what he means when he talks about grace and truth. Okay, That's what he means. In what ways does Jesus then embody grace and truth as John describes it. Well, I've actually already gone over some of that a little, right? So I'm not going to tread some old ground, but I do want to just add a little to that. First of all, I want to just, I just want to think about these three, these three words in that phrase, full, grace, truth. Full, grace, and truth. Let's talk about grace. Jesus not only embodied in the ways we've already talked about, but he embodied grace in that grace at its very basis is that which brings great joy to people. It's a winsomeness. It's, it's the idea of a favor, usually unmerited. Kindness, when kindness is not under demand. Jesus embodied that ethic of kindness, of winsomeness. Oh, sure, he turned over tables in the temple. We know that. But even that was a kindness. He's trying to stop them from something that was not accomplishing what they thought it was accomplishing. He was very kind. In fact, just on a human level, when you talk to people about Jesus or you talk to people about Christianity or church or whatever, sometimes they're iffy about church, they're iffy about Christianity, they're definitely iffy about Christians a lot of times. But it's amazing to me how many people don't have a problem with Jesus. Like They think pretty highly of him. In a sense, that's actually really, really good news for us. 
Because as we talked about last week, as a witness, we are not the point. Jesus is the point. And it's beautiful truth, but he embodies grace in that he was the preeminent kind human being. And he continued to be kind in going to the cross on our behalf. No depth of kindness has ever been showed except for the Son of God hung on a tree. Full of grace and truth. Truth. And this isn't truth as in he was the embodiment of more facts than non-facts. Okay, so we don't have to do a spiritual fact check. We don't have to call the New York Times or the fact checkers on Facebook. It means authentic, genuine. He was not a shadow like the sacrifice was. He's the real thing. He's not a shadow of the act of God telling, telling his servant to put his child on the altar. In this case, the father did put his son on the altar. He's not a shadow. He's not a copy. He is the genuine embodiment of grace and truth in a way that nothing else, shadow or otherwise, is. And finally, he embodies grace and truth in that he was full of grace and truth. He's full of it. That's just... In another way of saying, he was filled with it. He was abounding with it. He was abundant or ample with it. In verse 17, it says, the law was given. I'm sorry, in verse 16, it says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, his fullness was like heaping grace upon grace itself. In other words, the picture is not just full as in filled, full, overflowing, and never running out. <laughs> and so however he embodies grace and truth, the text wants you to understand he is an abundant and filled supply of it. Never ending. And that has implications for me and implications for you, which we get to next when we answer our last question. In what way or ways is Jesus as the embodiment of grace and truth a light for us that we consider and celebrate during this Advent season? First, I mentioned this before, he is an embodiment in, of light in that he is actually seen. He is beheld. We behold his glory. We see his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. He's actually seeable. Again, going back to the story of Moses, you can't see God. You'll die. This is an outlandish statement. We saw him. We're meant to go, Whoa, that is heavy. We saw God. 
and we continue to see Him in our Scriptures. We see Him as the Holy Spirit mediates His presence. And we're not talking about a seeing that's just physical sight. We're talking about a seeing that's much deeper than physical sight. We're talking about the seeing that Job had when he heard and saw and experienced God in the whisper. Second, he is light for us in the embodiment of grace and truth in that it says that grace and truth came through him, came through Jesus. Again, this is me going back to the just don't miss the small words, the connecting words. They don't mean nothing. It came through Jesus Christ. And it came through Jesus Christ in two senses. The first way is, is in the sense that it, was, it made possible in his incarnation, his entry into flesh, entry into the world, in his life, in his cross, in his resurrection, it made a way for grace and truth to be received by me and received by you. He entered. He lived a perfect life. He died my death that I deserved. But something happened. He was also raised from the dead. Showing the grand power of his cross was no joke. It wasn't just another martyr. He was a martyr that resurrected and this martyr who resurrected gives us both forgiveness of sins and new life. He is light to us in that He has provided grace and truth to us, salvation to us through the cross. And then it's also that it came through Jesus Christ in the sense that in the ascension, we don't talk about the ascension a lot, but in the ascension, which was kind of the starting gate, the starting line, in the ascension and the eventual Pentecost sending of the Holy Spirit, we now are able to be lights, to show light and to see light. This is what the Spirit does in, for, and through us. Three quick implications, and I'll let you go. One, one implication is that if we have trusted Jesus, so if you're a Christian here today, you've trusted Jesus, you and I should be able to channel or bear witness. In other words, give light to grace and truth. Like we become that grace upon grace, like grace that's never ending, never overflowing, or I mean always overflowing, never running out we now have that same overflow because the source that it comes from. And so we can bear witness and give light to grace and truth, put it on display, so to speak, for others to see. There's countless ways we can do this, friends. I'm not going to get into all the details, but here's what I want to trust just the Holy Spirit with in this moment. You know the ways in which you have shown brightly to other people and the ways in which you have not. I would just encourage you 
to believe that you've given, been given an overabundance of light to shine brightly to others. Believe that today. And shine, shine. Which leads me to the second implication. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you're far from God today, if you're still curious, maybe cautious about Jesus, we should be able, you should be able to look to those that have trusted Jesus for at least a snapshot of grace and truth. I'm not going to tell you we're going to give it the full picture of grace and truth. We're sometimes a pretty broken and messed up bunch. And we're not going to show the light all the time. We're not going to walk in the spirit. But we do shine more often than you think. And you can look and see portraits, pictures of light in the people of God in their best moments and get just a hint of what and how the Lord could change your life. And by the way, I got to say this before my last point, and it is good news that people can see Jesus even if they don't see Jesus in me or when they don't see Jesus in me. And that's really important because the truth is, and and hear me, if if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're far from God today, it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card to say, God's people just didn't show the light enough. (laughs) Because he has always directed us to direct people to Jesus, to himself. And he's directing you to look at him ultimately. See portraits of light in the people of God, but see the real light, the true light that was coming into the world and recognize it as the one glorious, only as one who is the son of a father that is in heaven. Last thing, you and I are invited to receive our own injection of the light continually. If you're far from God, if you're not a Christian, you're being invited to be injected with light during this Advent season for the first time in a way that will change you forever. Trust him. Trust the gospel message that Jesus saves sinners like me, like you. But it's also a message for me as a Christian and you as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, is that you are given continual doses, injections for the stirring of grace and truth in and from you. That every time you spend time in the scriptures, in his presence, with his people, worshiping together, you're just inviting yourself to get a shot. (laughs) We live in a world where shots are a big deal all of a sudden. You're going to get one? Healthcare workers, you're going to get it? Sure. (laughs) Some people are going bananas over this shot, and I don't want to minimize it. I'm glad, man. I'm glad for the inoculation to COVID-19. Bring it on. Bring more of it on. But as you've heard, that supply is limited right now. And the ability to manufacture it is a little bit methodical. You don't have to wait for Pfizer and Moderna to be stirred by the Spirit of God today. He will stir you 
to be a projector of grace and truth, light for the world. You submit to him today. That's whether you follow him or whether you, do, whether you follow him or not today. Because his never-ending supply, I will never stop needing. Despite the fact that I've already gotten my first injection. I'm getting that shot every day for the rest of my life. Because I need it. To this end, we seek to be light for the world as he was light for us.